podcast from Crew and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Chris and I share a number of passions, and chief among those are politics, sociology, food, and basketball. In this brief conversational episode, we talk about the midterms, why politics in the US is a certain way, campaigning and its many strange characteristics, and of course, a final sojourn into basketball, our team, the league campaign so far, and what we enjoy most about the sport. Chris is fun to talk with, and he throws insight into the chat cunningly disguised as a personal anecdote from the good old days. It's always a pleasure, Chris, and I look forward to the next one. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Take care. Chris, I have to say, we haven't had a podcast since April last year, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that's just horrendous. No, let's do it. I just, you know, your time and my time are just on different schedules. And we live in the same city. <laughs> now, let's let's bring it back to uh, bring it back to our reality. Then um, we're almost a week on from the midterms, um, and yeah, okay, it's quite clear that it didn't quite go the way that the Republicans wanted it to go. It's a bit of a mixed bag because um, the Democrats might lose the House. But um, how do you feel about? the midterms uh i mean there was a couple of elections that i was disappointed in uh, mainly like the governor's race in georgia i wanted to see stacy abrams win um but it just didn't work out but i'm happy this red wave didn't really come through that maybe people are kind of realizing it's not that, that there's a big problem there um Georgia still, I mean, like Georgia, the last election or the two years ago, four years ago, they, I mean, Abrams almost won, uh, Warnock got in and the other guy, I forget his name, were elected. And then it's like four years later, it's like a total turnaround. And you, and like, honestly, like Herschel Walker is about to win. And it's like, this guy is not even a politician. He's a ex NFL player, definitely has CTE. I mean, I was watching the, him talking on TV, and he's like making jokes about movies, about like uh, Talladega Nights, like real fair. Like he's like Ricky, I'm Ricky Bob. You know, you're not first or last. And I'm like, this is just so backcountry Georgia. And they found this black, like you know, figure that they can use to say like we're not being racist, and they just put him up there, take him and and like and so they can change these laws back, you know, or the maybe you know, abortion laws but i was talking to some people who were like you know a family down there and they were talk, uh, talking about like um there's a runoff and how abrams and warnock and the, you know, the democrats they didn't uh run a proper campaign you know they you know the whole everybody's doing these like tv ads you know if you're in the u.s you 
Zach, it's the craziest thing. Every 15 minutes, there's a political ad during the election about their opponent, and they just bash the opponent. They they have snippets from videos, or they have they take quotations and of stuff they said in the past, and you know live stuff. And it's like it's just that's just every 15 minutes, different elections all the time, and it's just like they pay like two million dollars for these ads and. This this next runoff, I heard that it's gonna be like another two million just for the runoff they're putting into this, and they said the issue with it, what they didn't do is they didn't start like a grassroots movement, you know, they just putting ads out, paying money when they needed to get people to go door to door, building, um, like they, you know, some people are doing these uh, like a basketball night, and they have a couple NBA players or they have a the local community will play each other. They raise money. They raise awareness for voting. So it'll be like basketball for votes or something like that. Or they'll have like a, you know, cookout or um, have a concert for voting. And this is how you can get people involved. And again, you know, rock the vote was really big in like the early 2000s, 90s. Um, like MTV was throwing a concert with all these celebrities and bands and they would talk about why you need to vote, why and they would register people to vote at the concert, you know, and mm-hmm. what the Democrats did, Georgia, they, I mean, what I'm hearing from people is like they didn't do this and they just went and just went for the TV ads, which actually makes people like, it, yeah, it might work sometimes, but people is just like turned off by it. You know, they want to, doesn't make them vote more. They just don't like the other candidate. But when you get them into a situation, into a place, in an environment that's physical, where they where they have to sign up to vote, where they they learn about what they're voting for and the importance, that's where you see a big change. Mm. The Democrats do do a good job of that. A lot of the Republicans are just more into like they have these cult followers. I would call them mm. and. and, and uh, what's it called? Like election deniers and all this stuff. But this, this is the thing that I've got because um, when you move away from actually being a political party and you become kind of like a cult, uh, then I think you're in very, very dangerous territory. And um, even though it's it's possible to expect that of certain kinds of individuals or certain kind of leaders, you would expect seasoned um sort of politicians who have they've been in congress for i I don't know 30 40 years you'd expect them to be able to lean away from that kind of 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 cultism because it's you know nothing good is going to come of that and that practically is what led to the january 6 riots because these people felt entitled um you know they had their their leader saying to them this has been stolen from us this is an attack on our country our constitution um, I mean, that's just not politics. Um, you know, I, I don't know where, which era that goes back to, but that's not politics. And so, um, yeah, having these people behave in a way that they, it's, I'm not saying this doesn't happen in other countries or the UK at all. I'm not trying to be superior in any way, but, um, it's horrific what's going on in the States from that perspective. Yeah, man. Can you imagine, um, spending that much money on advertisements like when the whole like all that money can be spent on education and all this stuff it's like and all that money's being raised by lobbyists in 
uh, these, you know, these people who need want these people empowered so they can make more money, you know. Mm. But the thing is, what's happening at grassroots level in, in the USA, a lot of people don't actually, maybe they don't give a shit and so they don't go into the details of it. Yeah, But as in, you've essentially got, as you said here, the political system is such that you don't have candidates campaigning on the basis of what they will do necessarily for for the citizenship okay you've got some people saying i will keep your right to your, your right to choose your right to an abortion the others are saying no abortion is not right it's murder and so on um so you've got some of this going in or you've got the republicans talking about inflation and the quality of living and so on um and how this is uh, biden's fault and because of his economic policies okay um but this is the overall sort of Democrats versus Republicans. At grassroots level, though, there are certain states where they're really jumping in with regards to education, so they don't want critical race theory to be taught. Um, they don't want people to become aware of um, transsexuals and um, the, the, the different genders, and um, they want this kind of education to be removed from schools. So, you know, pretty much they're, they're trying to guarantee by controlling education that in 10 years time or 15 years time, when these people are ready to, to vote, um, that they will also have these prejudices and these biased opinions. So it's, it's really important who um, owns the access to that level of management within society, isn't it? Oh yeah. Because you know, once you're like, they teach you these types of things at a young age, you just believe it. And the people that you look up to tell you, even if they're wrong, you're going to believe it because it's just loyalty, you know? Mm. And I mean, actually, like during the Obama, those years, I mean, 2008 to 16, 20 almost, people really started thinking for themselves instead of the way they used to because I could see a lot of my white friends who grew up with conservative families voting more blue and left just because of um maybe the education going to college meeting different people learning and just being able to choose for themselves but the ones that didn't really go to college and kind of hang back and work in blue collar jobs like they either they don't vote or they can't vote because they have felonies or they just voting for uh the republicans because they that's what their families are doing and it's funny like i was in london couple weeks ago and i was talking to my two friends and I, was, I asked them about how what how was how was the city when the queen's funeral and he was like uh oh, he started going off about it and how everybody was watching it and he was like it's embarrassing <laughs> he's like it's embarrassing that people are not working or sitting still and watching this um he's like and it's especially embarrassing that we have these he said they have these two classes in england and it's like the middle class Tories and the middle class uh, royalists. And he's like, you know, your 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 obsession and uh, with the royal family, it doesn't, you know, that they when you're born, they're already born above you, and the tax money, and that you that they're obsessed with these people who don't give a shit about them. And then you have these like middle class Tories who are voting for things that don't that won't help them but they're doing it because it's like this ideology that they have but they mm -hmm. want it, you know it's the same thing with the republican party in the united states like people want it to they want to idolize donald trump 
and these billionaires, but these billionaires don't want to help give back or help them in any way, you know, because people just want to have this dream of being this type of person. They want to be this rich person who can do whatever they want, you know, instead of like trying to see like, why don't we help everybody get there? You know, how many people you hear say like, oh man, if I was rich, I go, I would have this, I would have this. Mm. Yeah, I, would, I would move here. And then, you know, you know, it's like, it's, and that's what happened. And people get to this certain level. It's like, all right, fuck everybody else. Mm. And then, yeah. I'm yeah. always surprised, man, whenever I see on social media, because when you, you know, I, I'm, um, yeah, I'm not exactly averse to criticizing these, you know, overly wealthy individuals. And, and whenever I do, the, um, you know, the backlash that I tend to get is like, ah, you damn, you damn uh, lefty, you, you, you this, you that. And I'm like, well, one minute, what are, am I stealing from your kiddies food tray or something? You know, it's a, right. you know, I'm, I'm talking about these multi multi-millionaires who don't pay tax. Um, these people who, as soon as they earn a bit of extra cash, it's moved somewhere offshore. It's never coming back. You know, they are essentially stealing money out of the economy. You know, the whole point of some of our, um, you know, economics is that the money sort of turns around the economy. You know, you earn money, you spend money, you earn money, you spend money. But when you've got these, the people at the top end, um, you know, they're taking their profits out of the economy, that money's not coming back. No. So, you know, so therefore, you know, but there are so many different elements to economics. I'm not qualified to speak about, you know, any, any of these, but generally speaking, this basic level of understanding, if you take money out and it's not coming back, then somebody's not going to get it. Um, and usually that's the poor people. So, I mean, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but and that tends to be what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I also don't think it's every rich person's um, obligation to make sure that every poor person gets out of poverty, you know? I, but I, I just think like the governments have to do better regulation on these major corporations to make sure that when they're generating these billions of dollars, that some of this money is going back into the economy, going back into education, infrastructure, more than, than going overseas and buying more factories and producing more stuff that's not really benefiting the people that live in that country. No, it's not, especially when the people that live in that country are being exploited anyway. Um, the reason why we export labor is because it's cheaper elsewhere. Yeah. So, you know, when you know this this element that uh, when Trump was talking about bringing manufacturing back to to the USA, I'm sure that resonated with a number of people, especially when they realized that, hey, you know, we're not making cars anymore. You know, we used well, to. It makes, me, it makes me wonder, like, so if you to so say people are producing like, I don't know, shoes and you're producing in the U.S., like they ship them overseas because they can produce them for less price. But if they were still producing them in the in the country they're selling them, would and the price cost more, the companies would still make money. They just wouldn't make as much money. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but they they for them that's just it though, isn't it? As in, when you have a situation where the the absolute priority is pure profit. You know, then you've got an issue because then you will do anything to ensure that you achieve that target. And when you've got these hidden sort of guys in a background called shareholders and the management says, look, sorry, I can't. It's not my fault. I've got shareholders I've got to answer to, you know. Um, OK, you've got to answer to your shareholders, but you've also got a responsibility to your employees. It was you know? cool. yeah. That's why I got so upset with the Twitter. 
you know, this guy, they sold it to Musk. And I understand, like, yeah, why not get the money? But then you just left half your employees out to dry. People you've been employing for years. Yeah, I don't know how to, as in, it also, I think everyone is blaming Musk on this. And that's fair enough, yeah, as in all, you know, at the end of the, the entire process, if he says fire them, then he fires them. But surely there's also like um, a part of the deal could have been that um, you have to keep on to, I don't know, a certain quantity of staff for 12 months, for example. Um, but, you know, apparently that kind of agreement wasn't there in, in, in place. And so they, they didn't care. But uh, I, I read yesterday that you know, people who weren't even told that they'd been fired, they were simply on their Slack account. And then all of a sudden, boom, they don't have any more access to their to their accounts. Um, so they were just removed from their internal uh, service, and and that was it. While they were online, and the managers—that's how they found out, basically, which is ridiculous as a as, as a means of uh, organizing yourself. But um, yeah, bringing it back to the the election because we, we could end up talking about these things for for hours and hours and hours. Um, when people, when I comment on some of the things that are either said or done. Um, in the USA, I am straight away told you're a leftist, you're a Marxist. For example, recently I've been talking about Black Lives Matter on uh, on Twitter, and some someone responded saying, "Actually, all lives matter," um, which is yeah, of course, all lives do matter, um, but not all lives are under threat necessarily all the time. Um, especially when we talk about humans. However, black lives do happen to be under threat when they are confronted by certain situations that may involve police forces, for example, in the USA. And But the thing is, as soon as you say that, then you get this response that, oh, you're just a left-wing Marxist. Um, I don't get that. I mean, why would supporting you know, diversity, why would being somebody who feels you know, perhaps not too happy about the way that black people are being singled out, make me a Marxist. What's, what's, do, do, you, do you get that as well? I mean, are all black people Marxists? No. I mean, can you repeat that again? I'm kind of confused what you're saying. You're saying, like, if you say something about, you're saying something negative or positive. I'm saying that black lives matter. Yeah? yeah. So... Because apparently one of the representatives of the Black Lives Matter movement um, is a self-declared Marxist, now it seems people of a certain political persuasion are saying that anybody who supports Black Lives Matters is also a Marxist. No, I, I don't agree. I think the whole thing, when people say that, it's they're trying to downplay the whole movement. They're trying to downplay into an organization that's called Black Lives Matter that that's had some issues with corruption, and I don't think it started as that. It started as a movement of saying, like, look, Black Lives Matter as well. But when people start saying it's Marxist because they're they're trying to make into an organization, not a movement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I get that. But see, the thing, and that's like the right wing way to like downplay it and try to. Get you know, get rid of it and make it look like it's bad, and look like look what you guys are doing. All lives matter, blue lives matter. Um, so this is like a way for them to do it because like it didn't start as like 
I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure on Star, but it started as like people, like you know, what I'm saying like Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and then so then they started making like an organization, uh, a nonprofit to kind of, you know, to make bring to light to the, these issues, and they started these protests and marches, but then it became more of like a bigger organization, lots of money, lots of donations, and I know like the the founder, or some she took, you know, she spent a million dollars on a home and had some issues with um using the money inappropriately and anytime like people who are against this the right wing people they they try to like say like yeah you're a marxist you're this if you have any association with this group mm. and that's where it's wrong like you can always say like yeah i believe black lives matter um and i agree with the it doesn't make you a marxist it's just like you were just agreeing with uh, the movement and what what the movement means but, i mean like, I, I mean i've also like i've yeah i support it and everything but i never was like wearing stickers and putting it on my instagram i just i was like hey this is a good thing like i've always been aware of this but i don't i think some people need to be behind like a, a shield or a cape or a jersey to feel like they're doing the right thing and, like for me i was like yeah it's great it's positive but i'm always going to support anything that's that's helping people who are like oppressed or disadvantaged and are being, you know, racially abused. Um, yeah. So for me, it was never like, I need to say black, you know, I need to be part of black Lives matter. I need stickers and stuff. I just, I just thought it's another avenue to help. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, the, the unfortunate reality is that this remains um, a problem in western society i'm not even just going to limit it to the usa because that's just blind to do um western society has a problem with racism in the same way that other countries have a problem with racism for example china has a problem with racism quite clearly russia has a problem with racism um you know there are a number of countries that have these problems and it doesn't seem as though anywhere around the world there is a, a, a truly successful model to try to root it out what the midterms however has further shown us is that politics in a major way is just continuing to divide society now so when you've got a situation where uh, warnock is going um out spending money on um anti herschel walker ads and walker's doing the same thing for warnock then you're not going to have a candidacy race based on the politics it's oh. based on hate it's based on dividing people because if i'm a democrat or a republican and i'm watching the the uh the, this ad and it tells me okay walker he's um yeah he's a he was abusive with his partners he doesn't care about diversity he's this he's that and so on um then it's not that i'm going to say oh i don't like him it's i'm going to hate him do you know what I mean? And no. so there, there is no way that there's going to be any kind of middle ground between these guys because you know they are being trained to hate the other. No, so that's they just instead of just being like, okay, this person is still uh, a stand-up person, a good uh, community leader, blah blah blah. They want to play them down and make people hate them and look bad. So I mean, I just. It's like if you can find the best way to make someone look bad, you're going to win. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I mean, no. that worked that worked for Trump in 2016, right? I mean, you know, he came up with all of these funny comments. Um, well, I say funny, they were funny for some people, but uh, that worked for him. Yeah, I mean, because Americans, they like this. This is uh, part of the culture. Yeah, but look, looking at okay now, I mean, Georgia is no longer that important because, um, yeah, as we know, uh, the Democrats have already reached the uh, the figure of uh, fifty that they needed. But um, with this runoff in December, I mean, I'm looking at the list. Chase Oliver, who is a libertarian, so his two point one percent. I would imagine a sizable chunk of that will go to Warnock. But it, I mean, even if it's just fifty percent of that that goes to Warnock. He wins. He gets over fifty percent. Yeah. So, as in, and you know, I know that there's, uh, it's, it's a bit too simplistic, but the chances are that uh, the Democrats will pick that up as well. Um, what about the House, though? What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I haven't really read too much, but I think they're just setting it up for the next election. But I think mm. the next election is going to be. A shit show. Okay. Would you would you think Trump's going to run again, or will it be DeSantis or somebody else completely? I think Trump will, will, will definitely run. Okay. And I think he will have a good chance to win. You think so? Yeah. Unless there's, I mean, the Democrats don't have a better option. Yeah, for sure. But what, how is that possible? Because the, I mean, I can't believe that the best political candidate that either party has, um, and I'm not a fan of any party, I'm just, um, I'm against the most evil party of the day. And at the moment, what seems to be the the one which least represents my opinions is the, is the Republican Party. But anyway, I, I, I don't like either of them. Um, but I can't believe that in the entire the United States political establishment, the best politicians they have are both over, what, 74, 75 years old? My generation, the generation, you know, people a little bit above, you know, maybe they just didn't get involved in politics as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, but how does, how does two white men over the age of 75 represent the United States of today? You know, as in, if I'm if I'm going to look at these people and think, oh yeah, oh that that guy is going to represent me. How? Which one of them? Yeah, yeah. I just find it very very strange to say the least. Yeah, I agree, but I don't know. Just like you know, when it's especially in '08, when you had this, you know, when Obama won, you really thought like politics were changing and there was a fresh. And it was like fresh, younger, and it was. But then it's like it went so backwards. You think you would have thought there'd be more people getting involved, but and you also have this system, you know, where these people can be in office for so long. These senators, like Biden's been a sen was a senator for like I don't know forty years or something. Mm. Yeah, but that's how they build up their power base, though, isn't it? Exactly, and then they they build enough companies and lobbyists underneath them that give them enough money. To, to run to get reelected, and do you, think, do you think when do you think when Obama was elected that uh, the the sort of civil rights movement or the um, the sort of anti racism movement finally said to themselves, "Ah, oh, that's it, we're done now. We've got a black president. We don't have to worry about it anymore." And then do you think they sort of put their foot off the gas and uh, and the right just 
you know, these uh, sort of white supremacists just jumped in and said, oh, no, 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 we're back. We're back. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. I remember when uh, when he got elected, I had a roommate in college. And he's a nice guy. I mean, really nice guy. Um, respectable, smart. And he, but he was so brainwashed into this like southern, not southern, but just like this Republican Reaganomics type mentality. Hmm. And it was election night when Obama won. We were at home, and he just like couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. And he was like calling his parents, and was like, "How can this happen? How can this happen?" You know. Hmm. And it's like, how is like he's and it's like he's a terrorist, you know, like all this stuff. And you're like, <laughs> you're like Jesus Christ, man. And and, and like look look back, like I say this all the time, like John McCain was a was a was a good American, man. Like, mm. I mean, if you want to, you know, I don't know all the stuff, but he fought for his country, he was a POW. He did good things in Arizona, I guess. I, mean, I don't, you know, people can go back and forth, but I mean, compared to what they are the guys running now like you know he was not terrible person like, you know like like trump in the sense it's like he's he was a good he was a good candidate for american president i mean he might, he might have been super military backed and probably would have spent lots of money and would have been he probably would have started some more wars but mm. i don't know i mean obama supposedly deported more people than any other president he was you know pushing the, the zone, uh, drone strikes and you got Osama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as I was saying before, I'm not a fan of either party. So as in, I think as much yeah, as yesterday that people, mm. they need a third party in the U S they got to break this up. Yeah, definitely. But I, I mean, I, I can't see it happening because these guys, that's the problem because it's, it's, you know, if you focus the the aims of both parties onto preventing a third party from growing, all that's going to happen is these guys are going to solidify themselves even more. What you actually need is a, like a proper movement which comes from nowhere and sort of you know just sweeps up. But the the way that American politics is, this federal system that exists, the differences that exist between you know from state to state. You know, there's no way you can get any kind of movement which is going to touch enough states quickly enough um, to be able to make a difference in an election year. Um, and you know, this is this is the problem that we've got. Uh, I say we've got, isn't because unfortunately, the United States also has a huge influence on the rest of the world, considering the power of the dollar in international economics, and also you know politically they have a huge influence on what happens in Europe and South America. So. You know, it's not just a question of what happens in the USA. It's a question of what then happens as a knock-on everywhere else. Um, and yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the time, most of the world is sort of you know caught in the middle of their disputes with you know Eastern countries or regimes, and that's also problematic for us. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, man. Do you know what this all tells me is that we've got a lot to talk about, Chris. Um, and um, yeah, I can't let you keep running away for like a year and a half before we do our next uh, podcast. That's just not right. No, I mean maybe we could do one while I'm at the beach. 
<laughs> You'll have a lot more time, and I don't mind spending like 30, 40 minutes talking. Like, in that's, that's nice of you, Chris. Well, I mean, like, if, if it's in the morning, like nine mm. o'clock, it would be like four o'clock for you, 10 o'clock. Okay. Maybe yeah. that Yeah, that might work for me, actually. Or well, we can get something organized. Yeah. But yesterday was nice, man. It was, I mean, you can tell everybody was feeling it, you know? Mm. I mean, even people are uh, teammates on the sideline who are watching. Everybody was pretty happy. It's, it's a mm. good feeling. Yeah, Chris is alluding to our latest victory, uh, our basketball team. Um, and we had a really tough game against uh, Thielendorf. Shout out to Thielendorf. Um, those guys, they it's the first team to really push us, I think. And um yeah they're well way too quick for me so i had to uh yeah make a sharp exit and uh yeah watch the game for most of the game from the sideline because it was just too they were just too much for me but um our boys were brilliant tom great um get well soon tom yeah so how, how did it feel for you man back on the court in a really competitive fashion it was good right no that was great because uh i mean i've been playing basketball for probably almost 30 years uh organized at least you know and there's something there's some kind of uh high you get out, out of competing like that, that you can't really get just playing pickup games and stuff you know you have a uniform on and there's a referee and the time and most people only get that in the younger part of their life like you know 16 to 18 uh or like in, in the u.s like in high school like 14 to 18, you know, you play competitive in front of fans and it's loud. And some, you know, a small percentage goes on to play in college. But uh, I think so many years away from that and to be able to focus and kind of push yourself to compete and not want to lose is a very awesome feeling that mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoy. And, yeah. really, and you know, it's because, it, like, you know, some of our usual – plays and uh, tactics weren't really working and it was really cool to see how we kind of adjusted and found the right guys and then went to our strengths you know because sometimes when uh when you're playing a game especially basketball and you're not things aren't working easily you start forcing it you know you're like oh i just really need to try harder to get the shot but instead of forcing it we just said all right let's look at better different options and be more patient and you know we hit you know found tom like he hit like three in a row and that and that the game was pretty close when he hit three you know, we went up you know 10 really quick and then really slowed the other team down you know yeah. and then yeah. rallied our team and then they came in another comeback and then you know went inside to spin and helga and that really made a big difference as well and we just kind of beat them down so then we were like beat them down on the inside on the outside we were, and then we started getting defensive stops as well and trying to push fast breaks. Yeah, that was a big man. <laughs> this is my zone. My zone is my home, he said. As he, uh, yeah. as I he mean, it's not, what a smart play. I mean, like, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a dirty play, but what a smart play. It reminded me of, like, old school NBA, you know, Bill Lambeard or something. And Sven was like, all right, this guy's driving, consistently getting to the hoop on us, and he's keeping them in the game. So he said... I'm just going to slide over and make, take the foul and stop him from doing it. And it's like, you know, they, like they always teach you, like, if you're going to foul, my foul him hard, right? Like any, any sports, you know, like if you're going to foul him, like foul him hard. And I don't say it was a cheap foul, but he just got in there and the guy, he felt it 
and that was it. Yeah, that was it. He stopped going to the hoop. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, he was like, he knocked the wind out of him. It was not a dirty play. He just fouled him, you know? He mm. got the body. He went for the ball. And the guy just met his match. And then after that, like, the number yeah. one player just stopped driving because he just knew, like, all right, he just couldn't, didn't have it anymore. Yeah, but any, anyone who says that basketball is a non-contact sport and hasn't played the game because the, yesterday's team, I mean, well, when I was on offense, um, you know, they had players just, they just had their arms all over me. I couldn't even move at one point. Um, and the, the only way you're going to get free is, you know, if the ref calls it, which some of the fouls they weren't calling, or, you know, you push them off. And then if you push, they fall over, you get an offensive foul called. So, um, you know, it's a, it is a really physical game in there. Um so, yeah, I got yeah. fouled a couple times. Even the guy who fouled me said, oh, man, sorry, I got you there. The ref didn't call it. The only issue I really have with the league is there's this continuously, like, out-of-control driving into a person Yeah, from both teams, and they only call it one way, you know? Mm. It's yeah. always a block. But if – but it's like if you if you stepped in to try to take a charge, are they going to call a charge? Even if it's a, you know, what I mean? it's like, mm. I mean, the, the, I think the skill level of the referees aren't so good where they like make these calls, which kind mm. of ruins the game because you know, like, there's sometimes Nicholas was driving and someone's in his way. Is that a block? But they called it offensive because he didn't have complete possession, but he was he had possession of the ball and the guy got in his way. So it's like, you know, then no. this guy who's driving to the hoop every time. And initiating contact, if you if you step up and take a charge, are they going to call it or are they going to call a block? And it's like, is it worth the risk of getting another foul when he could miss the shot? But like you know, most of the time, like in basketball, you take the charge. Like other team, they, they get scared because it's another foul. You know, mm. and it's demoralizing as a player to get a charge called on him. Yeah, but I mean, it's. <laughs> You know, our level of um, of basketball, I suppose the refereeing. I mean, yesterday's refereeing was probably above our level of basketball, if that's if 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 that kind of makes sense to anybody. But uh, I mean, generally speaking, the only thing that I want um, is that if they call a foul on one guy, then they call the same foul on the other guy. And um, a couple of times that didn't happen. But generally speaking, the I think the referees this season at least have been a lot better. Than what I've had in the past, so um, I'm not yeah, gonna I'm like, not gonna complain. Yeah. Guys, yesterday it was like, and they had two referees. They're not gonna make every call, of course. Um, yeah, man, these like these travels are crazy. Away <laughs> with that in the US, man. But in the NBA, you, they, they travel all the time, though, yeah. As in, yeah, yeah. traveling is like one of the most other fouls is the most like called penalty. But because but um, but man, it's, I it's really part man, of the game. Like when you travel, it's an advantage. Yeah, but I see it all the time in the NBA. Is and whenever I watch, is and they pick up. You know, before yeah, they start the dribbling, they're walking. Yeah, they're it's walking, also the speed man. and the length of the guys, and they've they found a way to like make it so you can't see it in live motion. They talk about it. Like but they I, I, them, like like when they train and do moves and stuff, they just like there's a you know, there's they, they, there's a way of finessing it, and they make it look like this. It's not uh, more than two steps, but it is. But they just have a way of picking the ball up at the right time or dribbling at the right time while moving the foot, mm. and you can't really see it. And I, and I also think the refs kind of just ignore some of it because it's more about entertainment with the NBA. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They, they, it's a bit like how in football, as in soccer, the uh, the strikers have the benefit of a doubt and so on because uh, yeah, they want to see goals, they want to see shots, they want to see moves. So um, because otherwise, in the NBA, in almost every offense, they're going to be calling uh, they're going to be calling travel because I mean these guys walk half halfway down the street before the ball touches the floor, and you think, one minute, what's that? Or like you know, they they carry the ball, you know. Oh man, yeah. I was thinking about the who was the guy from um the 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 young guy from the Celtics. What's his name? He's the, the ball the main guy, the ball controller. Uh, Jason Tatum. Tatum, mate. How, how many times he 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 like puts it in a bag when he yeah. dribbles, and then they like take three steps and. But I means that you got to realize how big these guys are, man. <laughs> they're bigger than Sven. Yeah, they're huge people. Mm. Like Sven's like a point guard in the NBA. No, nah, come on. Yes. My friend's about two meters. There's no way he's a point guard. I don't even. There's guys that play guard who are as big as him. Okay. Two right. guards. Really? I and mean, these guys are big. I mean, Kevin Durant is, is like a point guard. And look how big he is. Yeah, okay. But Durant is, what, seven foot two? I mean, he's... Uh... But I'm saying, like, these. there's guards who are as big as Sven. Mm. And what's he, like, six foot six? Uh, no, I think he's a bit more than that. He's probably six eight, six nine. We should. We'll ask him on Wednesday. Yeah, that's eight guards like yeah. all over the NBA. That's probably so hard to guard because, like, imagine a guy that skill with the dribbling ability. Mm. Like, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, well, Jordan was six seven, wasn't he? So, uh, six, as a six. player, yeah. I mean, Kobe was like six seven, six eight. Man, that's just crazy to think about. I can't believe there's so, so many tall people in the States, man. What you guys eat? I mean, but they yeah. yeah, like Sven being able to dribble and shoot and jump out the gym like Kobe. Well, like, he, he can't jump. Unguardable. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he's Sven. He, okay, he can't uh, dribble like Kobe, and he doesn't leap around as much. But uh, I tell you, he's got the shot. Um, yes. <laughs> he, I mean, dude, man, if he could just. I mean, like yesterday, like he missed a couple, but like he also doesn't get fouls when it definitely fouls. You oh know what man, I mean? yeah. It's he kind was, of not fair because, like, I've seen it so many times where he goes up and the guys come down, like, three, two guys come down on the arms, and he's just like, how is that not a foul? But he's just so much bigger that they just don't give it to him. It's like, yeah, yeah. Shaq, yeah. you know, they never gave Shaq fouls. Yeah, well, Shaq, didn't, like, Shaq didn't deserve him. I mean, what's the point of giving Shaq a foul anyway? He's going to miss the free throw, right? So That was the hack of Shaq. Do you remember those years? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And like it was a high percentage of foul, and that's what I, like I was saying with our team. Like, why are we fouling this guy? Like, stop mm. fouling him because we're up by ten points, mm. and you just you know put your hands up and just put, you know give him like take away his space, but don't hack him, you know, because then he's gonna miss it most of the time, and then you just get the rebound. But mm. when you like, come down and bail him out every time, and you're up by if you're up by ten points, don't foul. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the, 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 uh, that guy, I mean, for example, the number 12, br brilliant player, but he was doing a lot of, he drew the fouls a lot. I mean, there was yeah. one time, he's, yeah, I, I saw Phil standing straight, yeah, his arms are straight up, and number 12, he jumped sideways into Phil, yeah, and then tried to, and then missed a shot, and he's he's complaining that he didn't get the call. Uh, dude, you do, you're jumping diagonally. I mean, jump straight up, and you get the call if it's a foul. Um, so I can't, I can't blame stop fouling. I mean, like you're, you're bailing him out and you're giving them energy, like time to cut the score. Yeah. I mean, like every time you foul them, the, the clock stops, they get two shots. 
they get to rest and they get to set up on defense. Like you want them, you you don't want to you want to keep them missing and keep pushing down. And they score, okay, and then we come back and we score. Mm. But you don't want to like we score, they come down, get a foul, stop the clock, they score two. Now they're down eight. We come down, we miss. You come down, they get a foul, they're down six. You know what I mean? And then we come mm. down four, and then so, so like if you just play straight up, they miss or they score, we score, they can't keep up. Yeah. You can't attack every offensive possession. You know, they couldn't score on us every time. But if we were bailing them out on the foul, then and it gives you confidence. You know, you start shooting, you start making free throws, you're ready to go. You know, okay, like we're getting points, I'm scoring here. Mm. Yeah, we, we were we were quite lucky from that perspective because they they missed a lot of foul throws, and um, I thought that was going to hurt us a bit in the first quarter. We, we missed a few as well. Um, First but then missed two to start. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, we had some good, um, we had some really good offenses. Anyway, okay, fair enough. It was. I really enjoyed yesterday's game mainly because I was watching it from the sidelines, watching you guys do all the work, and I thought it was brilliant to see. So, yeah. All right. Okay. That's great. Um, but very, very quickly then, before you run off, um, the um, so burgers. Yeah. Yeah. When are we gonna? <laughs> You like the book I sent you? Yeah, yeah, it looked good, man. It looked good. But what, what we what we want to do is um, it's a bit different, though, isn't it? So, I mean, I would say it's a bit different, but it's the same kind of like, you know, he talks about burgers from different places in the country. Yeah, and I want to talk about sandwiches in different places of the country. But we also want to talk about the the sort of you know the social yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, I think he does too, but not as much, but. I mean, I kind of want to talk about the history and kind of, you know, how, you know, the sociology of it. I guess, mm. like what was going on at that time period, why they chose to use this stuff, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my social media manager, she's asking me for this stuff, so okay, I want to get one down soon. It'd be great for me. Okay, you've got a social media manager. There <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> do respect. Okay. All right, I, I don't have a social media man. I am I am my own social media manager, so I guess I have one too. Um, yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, um, let's get that on the on the agenda. Then maybe while you're at the beach, then you can uh, you could talk to me about that too. Yeah, sounds good to me, brother. Yeah, good man. Okay, but um, yeah, we'll talk about that then before you go. All right, Chris, it was good to have you back. Uh, nice to have a uh, yeah, bit of a chin wag, uh, talk about politics. And um, well, mm, say that again, I lost you. Chin wag. Yeah. Isn't is that what you call it in the USA? Chin wag? Yeah. Chewing the curd? <laughs> that's cow. Yeah, that's what they do, isn't it? They chew the curd. Yeah, that's what cows yeah. do. Mm, cool. All right, man. Um, enjoy the, the start to the week and I'll see you on Wednesday for some intensive training. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like I'm gonna miss a couple games, but I'll be back in in the December ready to play, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think we've got another couple of games in December, so um yeah, we're gonna have to make sure that we, we keep the, the W's rolling in. And then and I can Yeah. Then you can steal the show. <laughs> All right, boss. All right. Take care, man. See ya.
and a mic.